Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. The main focus was obedience, and God added the sacrifices knowing that they would fail, because they were failing, as just a a secondary provision so that when they went astray, when they fell short, when they sinned, now they have a way to cover that sin so that they could then continue walking in obedience and walking in God's way. And that was the priority for God. Not the sacrifices, but obedience. You see here the words obey and walk. God had a plan all along. From the moment of human creation in Genesis, God knew that we would make mistakes and ruin the perfect plan that he had in place. So what does God do? Does he say, well, tough luck? No. God made a new way for us to be with him through his son, Jesus. In the Old Testament, there was animal sacrifice for sin. But even this plan would be usurped by an even better plan, Jesus. Jesus was killed in the most painful and humiliating way the Roman Empire knew, for the sins of the world. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. And he quotes this verse uh, in Matthew 21, verse 12, when he cleansed the temple. It says, then Jesus, this is Matthew 21, 12, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves He didn't turn over the tables of those who sold doves because the doves were in cages on the tables. He turns over the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And then listen to this. After he cleansed the temple, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What they would do, the, uh, the, the religious leaders in Judaism, during the, they were the ones who ran the operations there at the temple. And they sold animals for sacrifice and they exchanged money so people could make uh, the offering, the shekel offering at the temple. Uh, but during the great feasts, the, the three great feasts, when you know, millions of people would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts, and they would need to expand their operation, what the priests would do is they would expand out into the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles were to go to worship God. 
And they would set up all of their booths and all of their tables in the court of the Gentiles to sell the animals for sacrifices and and the money changers and all of that. They would just kind of take over the court of the Gentiles so that the Gentiles then didn't really have a place that they could go to to worship God. And Jesus now, he goes into the court of the Gentiles and he cleans all of that out. And I love what it says that once he cleansed the temple, then the lame and the crippled came to Jesus. They could finally come in. There was room for them now. And they came in and Jesus healed them. Jesus quotes this verse, verse 11. And he accuses the religious leaders of, of making the house of God a den of thieves. So. Look at verse 11 again. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. The Lord sees everything. Nothing's hidden from his sight. He sees what's going on. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, And see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. The people of Judah thought that God will never judge them because they have the temple. God's never going to destroy his temple. And so they're safe. And the Lord here says, go to Shiloh. And see what I did to Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was the place where Israel set up the tabernacle under Joshua. Once they came into the land, they set up the tabernacle at Shiloh, uh, which, was, um, which was in Ephraim, about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, and Shiloh became the religious center of all of Israel, and it remained the religious center of Israel for almost 400 years. For almost 400 years, the tabernacle remained there at Shiloh, beginning from the time of Joshua all the way to the time of 1 Samuel. Shiloh was the place of worship. Shiloh was where the tabernacle was located. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was located. That's where people would go to keep the feast. That's where people would go to make sacrifices and worship the Lord. They would go to Shiloh. And if you remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Uh, The children of Israel decided to take the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, out of the tabernacle and take the Ark with them into battle against the Philistine. They treated the Ark of God like a good luck charm, like a lucky rabbit's foot. And they believed if we just take the Ark of God with us into battle, there's no way we can lose. God's not going to let us lose if we've got the ark with us. And so they took, a, took the ark of God with them into battle. They didn't take the God of the ark with them, but they took the ark of God with them. And they go into battle with the Philistines. They lost the battle. The Philistines captured the ark of God, which was symbolic of God's presence with Israel. The Philistines captured the ark of God. We read in 1 Samuel 4 that the glory of God departed from Shiloh, Ichabod. The glory departed, God's presence departed from them. And then eventually Shiloh was destroyed by 
uh, the Assyrians, when the Assyrians invaded the land uh, many years later, and they completely wiped it out. And so here, he, you know, uh, he tells them, go look at Shiloh. Go, go look at what I did at Shiloh. You know, go, go see what happened to them. You know, see, see what I did to them because of their wickedness. And he says, the same will happen to you if you don't repent and turn back to me. And this reminds me of the warnings that Jesus gave to three cities in the Gospels, where he warns the city of Chorazin and the city of Bethsaida and the city of Capernaum. And those three cities, Jesus did uh, most of his miracles, most of his teachings that are recorded in the Gospels, they happened in and around those three cities. And yet, those three cities ultimately rejected Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, I'll just read it to you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus said, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who were exalted to heaven, because Capernaum became Jesus' headquarters, you will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And so Jesus gave this warning to those three cities. And we see here the Lord giving Jerusalem a similar warning in the time of Jeremiah and the people of Judah warning them of this judgment to come that they thought would never come. There's no way it would ever happen. And God says, go look at Shiloh, go, go see what I did to Shiloh. And you have to remember, uh, when he's saying, go look at Shiloh, he's not telling them about some city that's on the other side of the world. Shiloh's 20 miles away from Jerusalem. The northern kingdom is right next door. They could see the fires of the cities of the northern kingdom burning when the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and conquered all the cities. They could see the, the smoke from the fires from Jerusalem. So again, he's not talking about something that happened in a far off land that they can't relate to. These, these are their cousins to the north, their brothers to the north, you know, right across the street. God brought destruction and he says, I'll bring the same thing upon you if you don't repent. So now look at verse 13. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you. Rising up early and speaking, that, that phrase means that God warned them repeatedly from, from the moment that they began to go astray. He started warning them and kept warning them over and over. But you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. They just ignored God's warning. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name and which you trust and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight 
as I have cast out all of your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Ephraim was another name for the northern kingdom who were their brethren. God cast them out of his sight and he sent them away as slaves into Assyria. And he says here, because you ignored my warnings, because you refused to turn back to me, because you won't listen to me, I'm, I'm going to do to you what I did to Shiloh and to the northern kingdom. I'm going to cast you out of my sight. Now look at verse 16. Now in verse 16, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah the prophet. And he says to Jeremiah the prophet, Therefore, we'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. I mean, what, what a startling command God gave to Jeremiah. He says, don't pray for them anymore. Jeremiah. Don't intercede for them anymore. And God's going to repeat this in chapter 11 and chapter 14. Because God knew the people would not amend their ways. He knew that they would not repent. He knew that they would not turn back to him. And so he said, don't pray for them anymore. There's no point. You know, every time that someone rejects the gospel, rejects Jesus Christ, rejects the, the, the message, refuses to turn to God, their heart gets a little bit harder. And if they continue to reject the gospel and reject the gospel, every time their heart, their heart gets a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder until it gets to the point where it's so hard that they can't turn back. It's like the cement dries. There's a point where the cement dries and everything is set in its place, and there's, there's no turning back at that point. There's no, there's no hope of salvation for that person. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, uh, we read where Pharaoh hardened his heart to the Lord. And Pharaoh hardened his heart over and over. We read that phrase, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it changes. And it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And what it means there is that God made firm the decision that Pharaoh had already made. It's as if God said, okay, you, you, you want to harden your heart to me? You don't want to obey me, then, then fine. Let your heart be hard. Where now it's set. Now the cement is dry. 
Now you've, you've gotten your wish. You've gotten it your way. And now there's no, there's no going back. There's no, can't change your answer now. And so that's what he's talking about here with the people of Judah. They're, they're not going to turn back. They're not going to repent. And so he says, just don't pray for them anymore. There's no point in praying for them anymore. They're not, they're not going to turn back. Now, now, for us, you know, we don't know when someone passes that point of no return. And so we should always continue to pray for people and intercede for people, uh, for those that aren't saved. You know, unless God tells you, like he told Jeremiah, don't pray for this person anymore, which is unlikely that the Lord's going to say that to you. Otherwise, continue to pray for them. But he tells Jeremiah here, don't, don't pray for them anymore. Don't lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? God sees it. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough. It's talking about like bread dough, not like money dough. <laughs> The women need dough. (laughs) They need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. And so we see here in verse 18, their idolatry was a family affair. Everyone was involved. The kids were involved. The father's involved. The mother's involved. And they're worshiping the queen of heaven, which was a title for a Babylonian god named Ishtar, a fertility goddess. Now, it's interesting, the Catholic Church refers to Mary, the mother of Jesus, as the queen of heaven. And they've given her this title, which is, uh, you know, shocking, considering this is where we get the title from, is Jeremiah chapter 7. He says, he says, they provoke me to anger. Then in verse 19, he says, do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces. He says their idolatry brings shame upon themselves. You know, they're, they're storing up wrath for the day of wrath, the Bible says. And it's to their shame. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man and on beast, on the trees of the field, on the fruit of the ground, And it will burn and not be quenched. So God's judgment when it comes, it's going to be thorough and it's going to be total. It's going to be complete. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the meat. Now, verse 21, God is, is speaking sarcastically here to the people of Judah. He tells them to to make their burnt offerings, make their other sacrifices if they want to. Now, the the burnt offering was an offering that represented total consecration to God. When you made a burnt offering, you offered the entire animal on the altar. You didn't keep any of the meat back for yourself. All of it was consumed by the fire on the altar. It was burnt to ash, and it was symbolic and a picture of you Uh, making yourself totally consecrated to the Lord. You're not holding anything back from God. You're giving everything to God. You're putting it all on the altar. 
God says here, though, hey, go ahead and make your burnt offerings to me. He says, eat some of the meat from the offering if you want to. Which you weren't supposed to do, not with the burnt offering. In other words, he says, do whatever you want. I don't really care. Do whatever you want. It's meaningless to me. It's meaningless. Your sacrifices are meaningless. You can do, do whatever you want. It's almost like, like a parent who is just at his wit's end with his child and says, you know, I've tried to reason with you over and over. I've tried to explain this to you. You refuse to listen to me. So just do whatever you want. I don't care. You know, you want to, you want to do that? Have at it. Because you're going to do what you want to do. And I'm done trying to reason with you. That's kind of what God says here to them. I'm just done. I'm done reasoning with you. And, and if you want to make a burnt offering, you want to eat the meat, however you want to do it, that's fine with me because it doesn't, doesn't count for anything with me. He says in verse 22, For I, I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice. And I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. When God first brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he established his covenant with them at Mount Sinai, if you remember, he initially gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, and he commanded them to obey the the Ten Commandments. Uh, he, there, was, there was nothing said about sacrifices for sins at that point. He gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. He doesn't mention sacrifices until Exodus 24. Initially, when God initially established the covenant with them, initially his covenant was, here are my commands, you obey my commands. And I'll be your God and I'll bless you. That was it. The sacrifices for sin, that came later. They were added. It was a provision that was added later for when they sinned. So that they would have a way to atone for their sins and cover their sins. So that they could continue to walk in obedience to the Lord. But the priority was obedience. The main focus was obedience and God added the sacrifices knowing that they would fail because they were failing as just a a secondary provision so that when they went astray, when they fell short, when they sinned, now they have a way to cover that sin so that they could then continue walking in obedience and walking in God's way. And that was the priority for God, not the sacrifices but obedience. And you see here the words obey and walk. He mentions those two words a couple times in this passage. What happened, though, by Jeremiah's day, obedience had stopped. Obedience was forgotten. But they continued to do sacrifices just out of ritual. But they were no longer mindful of obedience. Sacrifices became the priority. There was no thought of obedience. So it was just sacrifice now without obedience. And God wanted obedience. He didn't want sacrifice. 
When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile, but think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize